With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, friends. Ed McGrogan here once again with Steve Tigner for the Tennis.com podcast. Uh, it would be I'd be remiss if we didn't at least acknowledge the Masters. It, it's it's played a big part in this podcast's short life this year. Um, you know, even the dulcet tones of, of Jim Nance not going to put a, uh, a warm feeling into Jordan Spieth after. Uh, a massive collapse from five shots up on the back nine, uh, losing it in pretty incredible fashion to uh, to Danny Willett, really unknown for the most part uh, before this week. You know, this is one, Steve, this is, you know, golf and tennis, they always seem to inevitably at some point get talked about in the same light from especially outside fans of outside I think observers of both sports you know that's one thing that tennis doesn't have is that you can't it when you even a collapse in a tennis match you kind of go you it's a gradual decline I mean you can still sense when it's happening but it's you always kind of have a, a, a chance to rectify something before it turns pretty pretty brutal like what happened you know on on the, at Augusta National that's it's just the games are, are scored differently not to say that there haven't been epic tennis collapses before but I, I did get thinking about that uh, as I was preparing for yeah, this the tradition like unlike any other is the collapse on the on Sunday at the Masters right it's yeah Greg Norman never really recovered um you know you think Spe- sure Spieth will at some point but but you're right like he was he was Leading the tournament, and people were talking about turning it off because he was about to win, and then he was out of the tournament. Completely. Yeah, I think people, and I think I talked to people who did who did turn it off. In fact, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think he. I, I feel like that the shot that he put in the water, the second shot that he put in the water, was just a weird distance that they normally don't hit from on that hole. Like he looked like he didn't know exactly how to hit that shot because even the even the next one that he. That he put over and, and went into the bunker, it even looked like he didn't know how to hit that one. Like he was hitting it from a weird, a weird spot on the course. Uh, right. These pros are, you know, and those players of that level are just you. You're not practicing uh, from the drop zone because yeah. you're, you're never, you hardly ever are put in that situation. Yeah. And, and um, I, I don't know. I it was. Uh, I have to say, golf always, you know, you know, the tennis versus golf thing. I know. Some people have that. I think you can enjoy both very well. I say you know, golf really does drama pretty well. I've got to say. I mean, it, when when it comes down to it, and and a, it it would be as if if a tennis match was determined by how many points you won, rather than if it would rather than it being segmented into games and sets. You know that I think is part of the the drama of 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 golf is that you know there is not one shot that doesn't 
matter in the uh, you know literally your your entire score is based on every shot you take. Yeah, you know each has their difficulties. Tennis, you have to beat another person. Golf, you have to be you know essentially perfect or or you're going to lose. Um, I guess the the thing for golf does drama well, but somehow I guess it's like maybe it's like other people with tennis. I only really watch the majors. The majors are great for drama. Always watch on Sundays, but never want to watch. Never watch any other golf. I'm not interested in anything else, <laughs> yeah. or the race, or wherever, or who's in, or the rankings. Any of that. Maybe maybe most people think of tennis that way, but that's that's how I watch golf. I, I think that's probably the case. I mean, I, I could I could very easily see that argument posed for tennis as well, for sure. Um, you know, we're making our way now toward uh, one of those majors, the French Open. Um, we have a ways to go before that. But we were getting started uh, on both tours on different colors of clay over uh, starting last week and moving into this week. I wanted to just start uh, with what happened last week in Charleston, a tournament that I was at for the last couple days. Um, and Sloane Stevens, who, who was the champion there, uh, a worthy champion, I thought, after watching her. Now, she did get the benefit, the benefit of um, playing Anjali Kerber at and not full, not full strength for the Germans who, you know, who looked great actually in her uh, quarterfinal match, but you could, you could kind of tell over time something was not right with her. Um, I still thought Sloan looked very well in that match and, and she, you know, handled kind of a difficult final against Elena Vesnina, you know, where she was the favorite, um, which is always a tough spot. I think uh, where she handled a pretty, a, a, you know, sort of a big loss lead of her own in the first set, kind of you know, rectified it in the tiebreaker after saving a set point and went on to kind of run away with the final. And, you know, the bigger questions I had about Sloan after the match were really kind of where do we assess, you know, has this year really given us anything more about her that we did or didn't know? Because if you look at her play, she's played six tournaments, she's won three of them, and she's lost in the first round of all the others. And the ones that she lost first round were the Aussie, Indian Wells, and Miami. So, you know, what did, did this week sort of say, or this year this thus far say anything about you to Sloan? Yeah, um, you know, I think she still has a problem with losing leads, like you said, with, with nerve. She was well ahead of Casakina uh, in the quarters um, and almost lost that. Had had to then save a match point. She was up. She won the first set six one. Really should have won the second set. Then had to go all the way and save a match point in the third set and win the last eleven points um, to to win the match. That, and and there was something similar about the Vesnina match. She was ahead, then she got behind, lost the lead, and then and then won again. I feel like in this tournament, maybe this year, she hasn't lost that. That sort of you know the nervousness or or has had the same sort of trouble closing, but I think she's relying. She's finding that she can rely on her her skills, her her shot making when she needs it more than she has in the past. You know these she saved herself with her with her better play. She showed at the end of those you know in the important moments against Kazakina and Vesnina that she had she had more game than than they did. Um, you know, maybe she, you know, maybe that, in a sense, is she's starting to learn to believe in her, and winning those matches will help her believe and believe that. Because you know, I think it's pretty obvious and it's pretty true when she, 
when she plays well and plays relaxed, she can, you know, she she has more from from, from her serve, from her and especially her forehand than than most of her opponents. It's just a matter of, I think, getting herself to believe it. And I think these wins they have to help. Three titles in you know before the end of April is is pretty amazing. And her her record for the year, despite the first round losses, is excellent. She hasn't she hasn't beaten a lot of top players. She only has one top ten win, and that was over Kerber. You know, among those among those wins, but but just winning matches, and I think winning matches that she could have lost is a, will be will be big for her. Yeah, and um, I think it's true about kind of getting to fundamentals with her in a way because you can track this back to. Uh, when Sloan really came on the scene, and you know the big announcement of that was when she beat Serena um, at the 2013 Aussie Open, and and she went on to have a a good sustained run at the majors, where she was reaching second weeks almost um, almost every time for about a year and a half, and uh, you know the, the the flip side of that was it it she for whatever reason, was not able to, um, you know, to put it together kind of on a week-to-week basis. She was taking a lot of losses in, in tour-level events. And, you know, I think maybe it seemed that, uh, you know, when the pressure started to build on her as she became, as she grew into that uh, next great American, you know, as she was saddled with that, I think really that sort of, I think, threw her for a bit of a loop. I don't think she helped her cause with... I think the way that she treated it, and if you you know remember some of the exchanges about her relationship with Serena, for example, I, I, there was a lot of I think noise coming in, and a lot of her um, success this year, she's really talked about. Um, I think just her coaching now, which is different, and as you say, I mean her natural ability. You know, when you watch her play, it's clear that not many players in the world you know, can compete with her if she's, you know, if she's just simply making your shots. Yeah, and I think, I think the coaching is a big deal. Kamal Murray, he, we, you know, we've seen him on a bunch of changeover visits and heard, I know we've heard him talk to her and you really have to like what he says, um, like the relationship, like the things that he says, you know, you, it's pretty hard to disagree with, you know, he, he tells her to be more aggressive, to to move forward, to do the things that people have been have been talking about with her, but she seems to respond. You know, I, I, that relationship is good. That obviously has has helped her a lot. I think, you know, one basic thing that'll help is her ranking is up to twenty nine now, twenty one now. The, you know, the, the higher that gets, the better her draws get at Grand Slams. And we saw in the past that when she has a good draw at a Slam, she can go she can go far. Quarters of Wimbledon, at least the fourth round of all the other Slams, semis at the Australian. You know, that just a basic that basic fact of her ranking going up and keeping her from playing top players early at slams i think that's you know that is a big that'll be a big help as well yeah so yeah sloan i think certainly from these three months uh someone to definitely uh definitely looking forward to seeing where this goes you know there's two players who have three titles on tour azarenka and sloan stevens so you probably you know wouldn't have saw that at uh you know a no. few months ago now sloan has three first round losses but she's 16 and three so yeah. that's it's, it's amazing yeah it's very strange record um so let's move on to red clay and move on to the atp this week in monte carlo uh masters 1000 event not a mandatory event you would never 
know that from the field. This is um, after it seems like every year someone doesn't show up for this event for one reason or another. Uh, but we're really getting the full treatment for this uh, this welcome uh, sort of red carpet, if you will, to the clay court season here. And looking at you know, kind of kind of sensing where players could be fatigued down the road or what Roger Federer's schedule ends up being. We'll get into this in a little bit. I mean, this could actually end up being uh, the strongest clay court term before Roland Garros. I think it's I think it's a good uh, it's a very good week to be watching. Yeah, this is a good one. It's a pretty small draw, smaller than the Masters um, that we just got through in Indian Wells and Miami. And it's got, you know, I'd say it's got everybody in it. Kane Shikori is not playing, but um, but Federer is there. Uh, Murray is there. You know. Uh, obviously, Rafa and Djokovic. You, you really start the story, I think, of the season, which is, you know, I think is when Clay. You know, that, that's that's what Clay. This Clay season is good for. It goes on long enough that really, you really develop a storyline. You have Djok- The main one, of course, is Djokovic's quest for the French Open. But you also have um, Rafa. So, you know, where is he? What can he do? On you know now back on his favorite surface. You have Wawrinka going back to the French Open, and you have Murray, who had a good clay court season last year. Can he turn around his year? So all of those, all of those are in play, and all of those start, you know, start now. And and, and the draw is small enough that the, the the matches get good pretty quickly. Yeah, they they really do. You know, we just saw Federer um, win his opener over Guillermo Garcia Lopez in straights pretty comfortably. Federer. This is his first tournament back since the Australian Open. He he was scheduled to play in Miami, um, pulled out with sickness, and you know. But over time, of course, it has gotten over, um, gotten over knee injury that uh, he, you know sidelined him before. Federer, as I mentioned, his schedule originally was uh, his only clay event, I believe, when this when his schedule was first released was the French Open um he's you know because of uh I think a number of reasons he, he's really decided to pare down this this clay season where you know certainly it's 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 his least likely chance to um you know I think to make uh finals perhaps to to really make inroads here um Federer looked pretty looked good today you know I I think it's pretty impressive that after two and a half months he comes back and really doesn't even look you know really troubled too much but we kind of have expected that for Federer for a while now and even you know there was uh, I, I think perhaps little reason to think otherwise but uh, you know I, I think this is this is perhaps an interesting week for Roger maybe in the sense that we'll kind of get a better idea of what he wants to do schedule wise maybe based on this event and and you know just kind of see where he's at because we haven't talked about him for a little while. Yeah, it's sort of hard to know what he's going to do next. He, I think he wanted to basically skip clay, play the French Open, and and get ready for Wimbledon and the Olympics and the U.S. Open, which are the three things he's he's talked about and which he's talked about for the past couple of years as his main as his main focus. Um, always Wimbledon, of course, but but now you know not playing Indian Wells in Miami. I think just the the competitor in him, the the tennis pro in him, tennis player in him, wants to get out and and play. You know he. He lost some ranking points in Indian Wells, where he'd been the finalist. But, um, but I think it's, this is just a matter of he wants to play tennis again. It's been a long time 
whether or not this leads to any, you know, any serious, um, more serious uh, attempt on clay or attempt for the French Open, whether he adds more to his schedule, he could obviously, but but I think now for this week it's just get out, play tennis, um, start to get the feel again and get ready, if not for the French, then for Wimbledon. Yeah, and uh, his principal rivals at all those tournaments are here as well, as I mentioned, Djokovic, Nadal. Um, you know, we've talked about Rafa quite a bit, really, with Clay. I think it's it's almost like, you know, I think at this point it's it's perhaps has been established that this the days of Rafa sweeping European Clay um, may be behind us uh, as, as quickly as it seemed to come and go. Djokovic, to me, it's almost kind of, he may be in sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario where um, where any win, uh, you kind of just nod, move on, and, and, and look toward the French as really the, you know, the, the final arbiter of, of his clay court success. But you know, you've made good points, I think, about Djokovic wanting to really can keep the, his foot on the gas pedal and just retain that that you know clear number one by a country mile over the number two in the world and I guess he really only does that if he if he wins these tournaments which you know he's a heavy favorite to do so so you know any thoughts on maybe these uh those two principal characters in this uh in the principality yeah for Djokovic I think in reality it'll you know his French Open what he how he does it, the French will be decided there. You know, last year he won everything, and then suddenly he has to play a two-day semifinal against Murray. is a little tired for the final, and then he faces a guy who's who's on fire in the final, and that's it. You know, none of none of the preparation, none of the other tournament wins mattered at all. Um, so in reality, that's what the French Open. That's his French Open will be decided there. But in leading up to it, I think he wants to. I still, I think he wants to, um, you know, like you said, keep that sort of air of invincibility, keep his, you know, the aura around him. That's a, that's a big part of it. That's a big part of what keeps him successful is the idea in people's heads that this guy is almost impossible to beat. And, you know, he can only do that by continuing to win. I was impressed with the way he, he competed, um, in Indian Wells in Miami, two tournaments he doesn't need. Uh, they don't even lead up to the French open. Um, but he, he obviously wanted those. He played them as just the way he always plays anything and won them both. And I think that's why he'll go in, in, you know, into Monte Carlo and, and Rome. He especially doesn't want to lose a match to, to Nadal at one of these tournaments in Monte Carlo, which is obviously a possibility. He doesn't want to get that conversation started again. So, you know, there's plenty, I, there's definitely plenty for Djokovic to play for and, and to get ready. You know, he, he sort of immediately has to get ready on clay. As far as Rafa goes, yeah, the, the, you know, sweeping the clay court season is you know, almost certainly over. He didn't win any of the tournaments last year. He, didn't, he only made one final, and he was beaten badly in the Madrid final by Murray. Um, this year it feels like, for the first time, he, each match is going to be a question mark with him. He, plays, he could play Dominic Team early here. That's going to be tough. He already lost to him on clay once this year. So there's a... You know, almost anything other than a first round now feels like you're going to have to watch out. You know, to see whether to see Rafa's form against anyone, which is, of course you never had to say in the past. So, so in that way, it, you know, it makes the clay season more much more open and interesting 
you know, than it used to be. But um, but we'll see. I I feel like we've been waiting for him to come around on clay or any surface for so long. I don't think it's gonna. I don't think we're ever gonna get back to where he's just consistently day to day dominating again. Yeah, it's. Uh... I think we'll get a good idea of that this week in particular. I think this will be very telling for for Rafa based on that fact alone. I, I don't think we are – I think we're, we would expect Rafa to kind of give everything he has. I don't think he's kind of holding anything back for any reason. There's no real injuries that have crept up that uh, would – you know, would suggest that he's kind of playing it safe for any reason. I think Rafa wants sort of that, uh, he, he wants the titles and the, sort I think, sort of justification away of really where, you know, how he's how he's doing now at this stage of his career. Um, so I think, we, I think we will see a bit of that uh, one way or another this week in Monte Carlo. Djokovic, as you said, I think more and more players especially have been, you know, voc- have been vocal and almost admitting that, they are clearly witnessing a uh, a number one, a definitive number one in their midst here, and uh, and and you know, for good reason. They they've they have said that it's you know even Nadal himself said that uh, Djokovic is until proven otherwise you know the favorite kind of everywhere. Um, you know what else? Anything? Maybe some other players beyond. Uh, Beyond the the main names that we've been discussing, that might, maybe not even in Monte Carlo, but in the clay court season as a whole, that you know we should be keeping an eye on. Team you mentioned, of course, is one. I I I wonder where um, perhaps even even someone like a Nick Kyrgios, who who had a great term in Miami, yeah, he's he's beaten Roger Federer in Madrid before. Um, you know, it's a long clay court season, and I think we'll have over that time see more, uh, you know, see more, and have a lot more to chew on than just the uh, the top guys at the Masters. Yeah, I think one guy to look at uh, right now is David Goffin. He's coming off good, two good um, tournaments in Indian Wells and Miami, really breakthrough tournaments, semi semifinals at a Masters, and he really challenged Djokovic there. Uh, and if anything, he's more natural player on clay. That's where he first kind of made his made his appearance or breakthrough at the French Open a few years ago, four years ago. Uh, and he won his first round in Monte Carlo. It'd be interesting to see what where he goes with this with this little emergence and whether he can bring that over to clay. I think I think he can. He's he's up in Djokovic as part of the draw here. That 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 could be interesting. And of course, Vavrinka. You know, you just never know. It's almost, it's almost like you don't talk about Stan because you just know that it could go any. It's like it's not even worth talking about because <laughs> anything can happen. All you can say is he could lose in the first round. He could win the whole thing. He could, he could just he could blow everybody away. It's we all we, we sort of know that anything is possible with Stan. So, so he's obviously in there. Um, he's won Monte Carlo. This would be. Look, this could be a big event for him. He he has never done well in the U.S. and he didn't do well in the spring this time. But but he's another guy like you just have to watch. Play out. tends to rejuvenate him almost. It seems like a bit too, yeah. as we've seen. Yeah. So yeah, there's uh, plenty plenty of players of, worth considering uh, on the men's side this week, and uh, that's what we'll get into 
uh, on our next edition of the podcast after the Monte Carlo Masters, uh, where I'm sensing there will be a final of some significance, as you said, a very uh, tiny 56-player draw. Uh, it, the field is uh, pretty good from the start, and I think they'll carry through until the weekend. So uh, for next time, until next time, Ed McGrogan and Steve Tigner here on the Tennis.com podcast. Thank you for listening. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.